Lord, we know that we don't need the words and wisdom of men. But Jesus, you've come into the world as a light that shines in darkness. And you said, come unto me. You said you're the way, the truth, and the life. This country has been blessed, but this country is not a means of salvation. Lord, we have prosperity, but prosperity can't bring peace. We have a lot of stuff, but you can't take a single thing with you the moment you die. And so, Lord, we pray that even in this room, you would remind us of the power of the gospel. Lord, we preach it to ourselves. You'd revive us in this room. Forgive us this week, this morning, of our own trespasses, our own sins, our own iniquities. Wash us, cleanse us, refresh us, renew us. Pour your Holy Spirit into us once again. Lord, we need not just the sealing of the Spirit, but we need the overflow of the Spirit, the baptism of the Spirit, the drenching of the Spirit. Lord, we ask that you would refresh me and my brothers and sisters, Calvary Chapel of Richmond, all around the world, Lord, those that are truly saved would be just renewed this morning by your grace. And those that don't know you, Lord, you would open their eyes. We were once in darkness, and even now that we're in light, we're still very flawed. And so, Lord, we pray that you would open the eyes of those that some may hate you, some may hate us for being Christians, Lord, but you said to love even our enemies. So, Lord, we just pray for them. We ask that you would uh, open their eyes, that many saw, many. Uh, Saul's would become Paul all over this world. Lord, in this nation, Lord, it, whether it's the Supreme Court and the White House and Congress and mayor's offices and businesses, Lord, you draw people to saving faith. We'd see a wave of repentance. Instead of a blue wave or a red wave, we'd see a wave of repentance that would just cause anyone in any political party to cry out for mercy. And Lord, you're a merciful God, not willing that any should perish, but all that should come to repentance. Lord, we also lift up our persecuted brothers and sisters, those in China, North Korea, Iran, parts of Africa and around the world. Lord, rescue them, deliver them, heal them, comfort them. We ask these things in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen. You may be seated. Turn with me to two places, John 15. Hebrews 12. John 15 and Hebrews 12. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. We can get one in your hands. If you're at home, I hope you have one. You can use your tablet or phone. Plenty of Bible apps these days. I listen to one with a British accent. That's always great, you know. And my, my, uh, it's funny, my normal app just froze, and I have not been able, I, I probably need to delete it and re reload it. But um, I've been listening to this other one, and it's in the King James Version. I'm getting smarter by the day. I'm, I might start saying hitherto and stuff like that in the house, and uh, my girls will be like, what have you been watching, Pride and Prejudice or something like that? But uh, nope, just listening to the Bible in the King James Version. I'm in, um, again, we typically read from New King James, but uh, that old English stuff. Uh, John chapter 15, I'll read there first, just a couple of verses, and then we'll get to Hebrews chapter 12. If you're visiting with us, we're cruising through the book of Hebrews. I only got the 12th and 13th chapter remaining. Uh, starting in verse 1, you know this passage, but it's very relevant to what we'll be looking at in Hebrews. Jesus speaking, the entire 15th chapter, all red-letter words of Jesus. We'll just read a few. I am the true, verse 1, I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Aren't you glad you're connected to the vine? 
the only way you'll bear fruit. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that bears fruit, and that's you and me, we're, let's say we're, we're soundly saved, we're bearing fruit, he prunes that it might bear more fruit. Any, any of you ever pruned something, like take the, the clippers to the rose bush? And things are sharp. You, you can do it to a rose bush, you would not want to do it to your finger, right? But uh, you just snap those things off and it probably, if, if plants could talk, they'd probably say, ouch! I mean, I've sawed branches off to get the trees the right shape and get the shade, but, but they do come in more full when you do this. Matter of fact, a lot of times we get too busy and we can't prune things, and I'll look and say, well, that's why the rose bushes are all out of whack, and when you prune them back, everything bears much more fruit. They flourish. So he says he fruit, uh, bear, that and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. But the key of this whole text as it relates to Hebrews 12 is that he's going to prune us. Do not be shocked when God starts to prune your life. And it won't feel good, but it will be good. And it will bear fruit. Turn with me to Hebrews 12 now. And the writer of Hebrews is even more specific about what God is going to do, what he allows in our life. And it's not easy, but this is what the Lord wants us to understand. Hebrews 12, starting verse 3. For consider him, him of course being Jesus, who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. Of course, we do strive against sin. And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons or as daughters as well. My son or my daughter, do not despise the chastening of the Lord. By the way, chastening is not a word we use much in modern society as well. This is definitely coming over from the King James, but uh, we'll look at what the word means in a minute. But do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. Yes, even God will rebuke his own kids. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges. This is actually to whip, by the way, every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as sons for what son is there whom the Father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us and we, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them, but for our profit. But he for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Can I get an amen on that? Uh, a lot of chastening is painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable, here is again, we saw in John 15, fruit, same word, fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained, trained, trained by it. Everyone wants a personal trainer? God is your personal trainer. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that your word is true. 
You've given it to us as a lamp unto our feet and a light to our path. Lord, you've given it to us not to be discouraged, but to be rebuked and corrected for our benefit, for our profit, for more fruit to come out of our life. Lord, we want to be fruit-bearing believers. And so, Lord, let us take your correction, what you allow, the trials, the tribulations, with patience and endurance that it might bear much fruit in our lives. Lord, speak to each person. Lord, I'm not equipped. I'm so imperfect to convey this message. So, Lord, I pray the Holy Spirit would convey those things I miss. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. By the way, I forgot to mention, uh, the first two Sundays in August, I wrote myself a note and missed it, but now I see it. So the first two Sundays in August, we'll do communion both Sundays. So no matter what group you're in, you're getting communion. So you don't really have to remember anything, just that if you're here, if you're at home, you need to have your elements together for those of you that are doing that. So, uh, but back to our passage this uh, morning, and we looked a little bit at John 15 here in Hebrews 12. If you and I were designing the original blueprint of the Christian life, We'd probably never allow things that invariably come with normal Christian living. We probably wouldn't allow certain things to invade our life. And yet, there's going to be a lot of things come your way in the normal Christian life. When I mean normal, I mean you're going to have bad days. You're going to get bad news. You're going to get a tough meeting with a doctor. You're going to have difficulty. You're going to have things that go against you. People that lied about you. Things that went wrong. Uh, but even in life in general, non-believers get all this, right? To some extent. A lot of this is not even just specific to the Christian life. If you look at almost, you think about society. If you look at almost all the inventions, the technology, the advancements, the entertainment options, the company mission statements. The goal is always to make life easier. Always. Eventually, Alexa will live your life for you. Smoother. Less troublesome. More relaxing and just chilling out. But that's impossible, my friend. Because sin has entered the world. Don't be misled. There'll never be this utopia that Apple and Netflix and the NFL and everybody else and HGTV and all the rest of them, there'll never be the utopia that everybody's looking for because sin has entered the world. So everything is corrupted. You can see that, right? Evil passes from one generation to the next. Sometimes trading one form of bondage for a new form of bondage. You ever notice that? We get rid of this sin, it's replaced by this sin. I mean, as society. And the fact is, the world is dying, just like we are. We in this fallen world, we all have a physical end date. Just like you buy anything, you look at the box and say, when is this cereal? It says, eat by such and so date. Don't worry, it has enough preservatives. It'll last another 30 years after that. But it, uh, beyond that, everything has an end date. This fallen world, you and I, we have an end date. So while health and life sciences, they make significant advances, new diseases come out of nowhere and outpace the advances. 
This has happened all throughout history. For almost every pro we create, there's a con. For almost everything we create, hey, this is amazing because there's a negative in creating it. Create wind turbines, birds get hit by them. Causes all kinds of other issues. Uh, you know, so people are like, I just hear, all I can hear is in our neighborhood, noise pollution now. Create computers and smartphones. You have new ways to do amazing things, but you also have a new way to get repetitive arthritis in your fingers. And carpal tunnel. You have a new way to get something that wasn't there before that device. You have now neck postures. Doctors, I mean, I had my neck surgery a few years ago. Doctor says, yeah, a ton of it. It's computer. People's neck crane this position is killing many people's vertebrae. Convenience foods, well, they save us a whole lot of time, but they create a whole new set of health issues, cancer, cardiovascular. But Pringles are so convenient, right? Yeah, they're convenient. They're great for the beach, aren't they? Pop that little top in them. So what does all this have to do with the Christian life? Well, again, if we were drafting the blueprint, if God consulted us, which he hasn't, our faith in Christ would give us lifetime relief from the fallen conditions and suffering. We would, we would give ourselves a bubble. We would, we would just meander through it, and we'd have this bubble around us if we were designing the blueprint, say, all right, when I come to faith in Christ, life is now simple, easy, no trials, because I gave my life to the Lord. And a lot of people expect that when they first get saved, until they get discipled and they're told, you actually now need a lot of armor. Because you're ne- you've just, you didn't just sign up for a cruise ship, you signed up for a battle. But that's not how God, when you think about us just kind of having permanent relief. That's not how God in his infinite wisdom and perfection has chosen to work in his church and in his sons and daughters of which you are. And Jesus is the model of what? Submitting to the will of God. Jesus is the model of submitting to the will of God in what? In suffering. He was a man acquainted with sorrows and grief long before the cross. And as opposed to us, Jesus deserved nothing but adoration. But what did he get? Rejection. And now we follow in his footsteps. He he said, if I was rejected, you'll be rejected. If I was chastened by the will of the Father, you'll be chastened by the will of the Father. We looked last week at running our race with purpose in the face of exhaustion and us cutting all the cords to the hindrances and sin in our life and our flesh. But even when you do that, the winds can blow stronger and the heat can intensify. Can it? You say, Lord, I got, I got right with you. I've made these changes that you showed me in your word, that I heard this message, and I only heard it from Pastor Tim, but lo and behold, I listened to two radio messages, and lo and behold, the pastor said the exact same thing from California and this guy in New York, and how did, it, how did everyone line up and read my life this week? Well, the Holy Spirit does that. It says, I want you to make these changes so you can run with endurance. But then you do that, and ten things go wrong. Lord, I don't understand that. All allowed by the Lord. Understand, again, that the recipients of this epistle, 
they had, to be, they had begun to experience forms of real opposition and real persecution and real rejection that we may see someday, but we have yet to see personally. We read about it. They were experiencing it. And they needed, and we need, clarity, encouragement, and a reminder of how the Lord painstakingly works in our life. If you're taking notes both here and those of you listening online, God's gift, God's gift of discipline in growing faith. Discipline is part of growing our faith. Again, it's not the part we would design, but God's already designed it. So now we say, Lord, you're smarter than us. You're wiser than us. You love us more than we love ourselves. You know us better than we know ourselves. Let's look first at uh, what I've titled Consider Christ's Endurance, and it's found right there in verse 3. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. It's easy for us to become discouraged because we're fallen men and women. We get discouraged really easy. We could have almost everything go right all day. One thing goes wrong and we're discouraged. One little thing. One person says one thing that doesn't pat us on the back, and that's what we think about for the next 10 hours. Didn't matter how many other people said good things, it's that one thing like, why did they say that? They don't understand me. Did it, if they'd have seen what I just did. But in light of the afflictions and opposition these believers were enduring, again, they were starting to receive real kind of opposition from their Roman citizen community around them. They were having people that were really ostracizing them, taking stuff, taxing them, hitting them with big, taking and throwing some in prison. Real stuff, heavy stuff. The writer continues the emphasis of verses 2 and 3. If we go back to verses 2 and 3, remember uh, it was running this race with endurance, laying aside all the hindrances, looking unto Jesus. Look to Jesus. Looking to Him, verse 3, for consider Him. Look to Jesus and consider His life that the Father allowed, what He allowed in the life of Jesus. The word hostility, it means opposition for Uh, that he endured hostility. Jesus endured opposition. If you feel wearied, if you feel discouraged this morning, consider Jesus. Consider him. Say, Lord, if you endured this, I can endure this. Remember Christ. The word really works. I have to quote the word to myself constantly or I would have given up being a pastor a long time. I can't believe I've made it. This far, it's been, you know, I started in 2007. I was five years bivocational. I still work uh, in a Fortune 500 company, would travel all week, study all day Saturday, go to bed around 10.30, get up, preach on Sunday, and start the week all over again. And I thought, Lord, I'm going to die doing this. What are, you trying to, what are you trying to do to me? He's like, well, I'm trying to get you enough faith to walk away from all that stuff. So eventually I did. <laughs> but, uh, but I can't believe, I made it 13 years, and it, it, it The Christian life is really running, but you better be looking at Jesus. You better be quoting Scripture because life is so real and so hard and warfare is so real. You need the Word of God. When Jesus was in the wilderness, what did he do with Satan? He kept saying, it is written, it is written, it is written. 
I've never fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, so I can't even relate to that. But I can relate to how Jesus responded. So we look to him because we get our guidance from him. But we do endure a lot. And Pastor John MacArthur said, believers' pressures, exhaustions, and persecutions are as nothing compared to Christ. You've got to believe that by faith. A lot of times just knowing that, you will find, literally, you'll find like, let's say you're really stressed and anxious about something. And you feel the weight of it. You literally almost can feel it. And later, sometimes you can feel it physically. Not, I mean, it's not just in your mind. You literally feel it and you start to say, Lord, if you endured, I can endure. I'm not kidding. You'll actually feel weight start to come off. But you have to meditate on it. Lord, if you endured, I can endure. If you got through all of that, I can follow your footsteps. We need to accept this by faith. We have to reorient our perspective. We have to consider Jesus. He lived 33 years away from his rightful throne in heaven. While on earth, Jesus never owned a home. Let's consider Jesus for a second. He never owned a home or material possessions. He had no position, no title of authority while on this earth. His royal lineage through both parents was relatively unknown to everyone he ran into. They would even say, how is this? He's not, he's not even from Bethlehem. They said that. They didn't know his whole life story. He worked long, tight. You think you work long days? Jesus worked long, tiring days for no income at all. There was no paycheck. His needs were provided by the volunteer given of others. A bunch of them were women that, have come, that had come to Christ. He was up daily before the sun would rise. You think you're an early riser. He would rise to pray, intercede, pray for hours. He spent an incredible amount of time ministering to thousands of people, which is selfless and draining. One person can drain you in life. He would minister to thousands he would fast and go without food. As I mentioned, once he did that for 40 days. We don't know other times he did it. But we know for sure, that at least on one occasion. He was tempted and badgered by Satan himself, not some low-level demon. He had the prince of the power of the air just always, and he even said he would seek another opportune time, even after the 40 days. Especially when Jesus was at his weakest point, that's when Satan would come in. By the way, that's what the enemy will do with you too. He was falsely accused on numerous occasions. He was slandered often. He was hated by people that, came, that he came to save. The very people he came to save hated him, especially those that had power and position. He was told that he had a demon, and he was told that he was of the devil. Can you imagine telling God this? He was betrayed by a supposed close friend. He was illegally arrested. He was framed with false charges. He was condemned for blasphemy by literal blasphemous men. You have blasphemous men telling him he is blasphemous, including the high priest, the whole institution that Jesus himself set up. He was mocked. He was stripped. He was ridiculed. He was spat upon. He was slapped. He was beaten. He was whipped until his back was shredded. His beard was plucked out. Thorns were pressed down into his skull. Nails were driven into his hands and his feet. He was hung publicly. 
between two criminals to maximize the shame and to maximize the humiliation. Yet of all of this, he not only endured it, but he never once complained about it. How about that? I've complained when a car is taking too long at the toll booth. What are you doing? Have you never seen the toll booth before? This is my mind. So spiritual, as you can tell. And not only once did he never complain, he literally counted it all joy. He literally counted it joy. And not only counted it joy, but he said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Joy and forgiving the people that didn't really deserve forgiveness, namely you and I. In John 17, 4, he said, I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work you have given me to do. He did all that and he finished it all. He finished the entire work God had given him to do. He did it with all with joy, not a single complaint, not one single error, not even a microscopic error to the law, to mankind, to the Father, flawless. Flawless. You and I have never seen anything flawless in our life except for the Bible you're holding in the sense that, but I mean, in the spiritual realm it is, but every, we've never seen a flawless person ever. Unlike us, he endured and finished this course and he did it all with joy and he did it all exactly to the will of the Father. Christ did not endure suffering to be perfected. He was and is perfect. He endured that we would be perfected. Understand? He didn't endure it to become perfected like our chastening is perfecting us. His chastening was perfecting us. Totally different. And our enduring is now part of our sanctification, becoming conformed to the image of Jesus. We have the same goal as Jesus, though, here, and that is what? Ours is to glorify the Father. We're to bring glory to God, not glory to myself. There shouldn't be such thing as celebrity pastors. The whole name is ridiculous. John the Baptist outranks all these other supposed celebrity pastors. He lost his head at a very young age. But Jesus, everything was to glorify the Father. That's what it should be doing in us. Now let's take a look at this next point. Conform to his chastening. Conform to his chastening. This is the part that's not so fun. We, may, we need to look to Jesus. We say, all right, Lord, we see your model. We see your example. Now we see your example. How do we now walk it out? The word chastening in the Hebrew and the Greek basically means the same thing in Hebrew and Greek. It's a little nuanced, but I just kind of combine the two. Uh, instruct or discipline, reproof and correct. That's more of the, the Hebrew uh, terminology. Instruct, discipline, reproof, correct. And the Greek... It really means the same thing, but just a little more, uh, I, I guess you would say you can get your hands around a little bit more. It's called the whole training and education of children. That was the mindset, that if you were ch chastening, you, everything that involved to raise kids, and those of you who have raised kids, you know there's a lot of things involved. There's a lot of balls in the air with that, right? 
Also, the discipline and training of the body, when you think of the body, it, there's nutrition, there is running, there is uh, how I'm going to work the body, all the effort that is required. And so God will come along and he will reprove us, instruct us, correct us, slap the hand, even more. Chastening, suffering, difficulties, pain, even persecutions, they're all hard, aren't they? I mean, just a little bit of persecution. Just it, those of you that have endured, like, let's say you got saved and your family used to think you were the life of the party and all of a sudden they didn't really like having you around. That doesn't feel good. Like, they used to like me. Now, everybody else is having a Heineken and I'm not and they don't want to hang out with me or whatever else it may be. None of these things are easy. And some things would be impossible to process and endure if it weren't for the Lord. If you read the life of like a Richard Wormbrand or a Corey Ten Boone, you read people that have endured such things, you're like, how did they even get through it? It only is by the grace of God. Unless we're, and not only the grace of God, but we have to give, be given His perspective and His understanding. I have to see things the way God says they are, not the way I think they are. The way He says they are. And praise God He's given us His Word. Aren't you glad you have His Word? Aren't you glad those of you watching online that you have the Word of God? You know, you're not going to get any wisdom from CNN. You're not going to get any wisdom from the Washington Post or the New York Times, the LA Times or Fox News or all the rest of them. You need wisdom. You need supernatural wisdom. You need it from the Lord. But He's given us the Word and, and He's given us through Christ His perspective and a focus that will keep us from crumbling. The fact is, much of our added consternation, our flesh wanting to quit. You ever feel like quitting? Of course you do. You don't usually tell people, you just talk about it to yourself. But you sometimes feel like quitting and you sometimes don't want to do what Christ has commanded. Some of our anger towards others is actually towards God. It's kind of veiled. It's actually towards the Lord. But much of our misguided feelings, all of those are misguided feelings. All those are feelings that are betraying truth. They're not, they're not true, they're false, they're a lie. Much of our misguided feelings come down to these three words in verse 5. Take a look at the screen. You have forgotten. You have forgotten. Take a look at it, it's right there in the text, verse 5. And you have forgotten the exhortation. The writer of Hebrews is saying, I don't care what you feel, how unfair you feel life is, God's being mean to you, other people don't understand you, this is really difficult, why do I have to go through this and other people don't? First of all, someone else is going through it too. Guarantee it. There's 7 billion people on earth. Whatever you're going through, somebody else is going through almost the exact same thing. Not only a few someone. They say that we all have like five or seven people look identical to us around the world. That poor other person, you know. But uh, anyway, persons, we all have these things, but if we know the Lord, God will say this to us a million times in our lifetime, right here. You've forgotten. You've forgotten. Jesus said it this way all the time. He goes, it is, have you not read? You ever know Jesus would say that to people? They'd come up and say, have you not read? If you become dull of hearing, the, the scriptures will say, we've forgotten. 
And what we've forgotten is an exhortation. It says you've forgotten the exhortation. An exhortation is a good thing. Those of you that like sports, you ever seen a speech from like Jimmy Johnson back in the day? That's an exhortation, right? We can do that. We will go out in the field and we are going to mop them. And God's exhortation says, if you listen to me, you're going to see victory in your life. It's an exhortation. It's not, it's not something that would demotivate us. It's something that motivates us. In other words, it's something that invigorates our spirit. It's not depressing news, it's uplifting news. It's uplifting news. It would be like your physical trainer, let's say you're really out of shape, you haven't been working out in forever, and they start to tell you, all right, the Twinkies have to go, this ha- you, know, the, you have to be up at this time, you have to get to bed at this time, but trust me, in a month, you're going to feel so good. But you say, but right now I just feel like I want to vomit, like nonstop, and everything tastes horrible, and this is hard, and everything's di- difficult, and say, you... Just hang in there. You are going to be glad you went down this route. And sure enough, everybody that does it says, comes back later and says, why did I wait so long? This is an exhortation. It's not bad news, albeit it's counterintuitive to our flesh because we always want the easy thing. We want the sort of perfect sleeper. We don't want to be up running with Jesus praying. I don't mean physically running. I'm talking about doing the things he's asked us to do. But this exhortation, it's only given to the sons and daughters of God. This isn't written to unbelievers. They can't do this until they've come to faith in Christ. It's given to sons and daughters, only to the born-again children of God. And that is you this morning, if you've come to saving faith. And if it is you, it's both necessary news and it's good news. Amen? That this chastening is good news. If you belong to God, you can count on chastening. We just read in John 15. He prunes those that are already bearing fruit. That's really, and that sometimes will frustrate us because I'm like, Lord, I thought I was doing really good here, and now I get more pruning? And actually, the, the more you grow, look at the standard Moses was held to once he had really walked with the Lord for all those years. Makes one major mistake, no promise, lamb. That's pretty good chastening, isn't it? I mean, I got him, Lord, I got him here. He didn't really get on there. God got on there. But, it's just, but Moses didn't complain about that. He was like, no, that God, what God did is right. And it, what God, the reason why God did it was to teach all the other Israelites, don't get ahead of me. Don't get ahead of me. Don't despise the chastening. And God, in his manifold grace, who's there in the promised land on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus? Moses. Moses is there. God is gracious, don't worry. You're going to get to see the promised land. Even before the millennium reign, you'll get to see it. You and Elijah get a little comeback tour there on the mountain. But this exhortation is only for believers. It is good news. If you belong to God, you can count on this chastening on trials. John 16, you can, you can read about what Jesus said about the trials. Persecutions, Matthew chapter 5, 2, Thessalonians, uh, 2 Timothy 3. There's many other passages. I'm just giving you a few on relates to persecution. But we have to accept by faith that God is a good father. Do you believe that? We have to accept by faith that God, if he says these things, let's look at it, my son, do not chasten any verse, um, the rest of verse 5, my son, do not despise the chastening Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. Rather be encouraged. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens. Discourages every son he receives. Don't be discouraged of these things. 
We may have forgotten that Jesus and the apostles taught as well that chastening will come to anyone that belongs to God. And it goes further back than the us New Testament believers. As we've seen, the Lord allowed godly men such as Noah, Joseph, Job, Jeremiah, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, all of them were made to endure by the Lord's will trials, tests, and even persecutions. They were chosen men, men of godly character, and yet they were still chastened. You might be here this morning, you have godly character, and yet God is still chastening you right now, or has recently chased you, or is starting to chasten you. And you're like, why, Lord? I, I thought I was actually close to you now than before. You think Daniel didn't have that question? You think Job didn't? Job was the most righteous man on the earth at that time. And Satan says, I, th I think I can tear him apart. God allowed it. They were chosen men. Godly character. But don't forget, Jesus himself was not spared. He was not spared. Now the same passage is quote, the, the passage that's quoted here, probably in italics in most of your Bible, is from Proverbs chapter 3. I don't have time to turn there, but if you look at Proverbs chapter 3, you'll like like the first 10 verses a lot. You're like, this is great. You know, he'll actually fill my barns with more, uh, more wine and my vats will overflow and all this kind of good stuff. And all of a sudden, and then I'm going to chasten you and you're like, well, that part I really wasn't hoping to see. But three things to believe and receive from verses 5 and 6. If you just kind of circle verses 5 and 6 in your Bible, and a fourth from verse 7, uh, I'll put them up on the screen as they relate to perspective in the Lord's sovereign chasing. Uh, and here's the four things that from verses 5 and 6 and also one from verse 7 do not, dis and it relates to God's chasing in our life, do not despise it, do not be discouraged by it, Receive it as love. Whom the Lord, what? Loves he chastens. Receive it as love, not condemnation. Receive it as love and endure it by abiding and looking to Christ. Keep saying, Lord, I'm looking to you. I don't have the strength to endure this, but you give me supernatural strength. Your word is supernatural. I can endure it by looking at these things. Understand that an eternal salvation merits temporal testing and trials. And eternal salvation merits temporal testing and trials. Um, we're not working for salvation, but we are working out our salvation. And what God allows, He endows. What God allows, He endows for our good. For our good. Romans 8.18, Paul says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory which shall be revealed in us. Again, we have to quote these verses to ourselves when you're having a dark day. And faith comes by hearing. So God says, look, I'm going to let you meditate on these things. Think about the persecuted church worldwide. They have to quote this to themselves constantly. Because it's incomparable what they're suffering. The sufferings of Christ... And the sufferings of this life are going to impact all of us. All of us. All who are godly will suffer in Christ Jesus. Everyone will be impacted, but if we know Jesus is Lord and Savior, there's a purpose to it all. 
the things that we think would ruin us will actually refine us. Let me say that again. The things that we think will ruin us will actually refine us and perfect us for God's plan for our lives and to conform us to the image of his only begotten son. Remember Jesus on the mountain said, this is my son, hear him. He's trying to conform us to his son. Remember, we're safe not just from something, we're certainly saved from the punishment of hell, but we're also saved to something. And that's to be what? A light that glorifies God. What Jesus said, I finished the work that glorified the Father. We're saved to something. And physically, physically we're all, we're all born from our parents. I didn't choose my parents. My dad turned 80 this week, which was a big deal in our family. Uh, I didn't choose my parents. You didn't choose your parents. We're, we're, we come from our parents, but then they train us to something, to something. They have to, we come and we're, we enter the world and then we're trained to something, not just to kind of lay on the floor forever. That would be negligent. That would be dereliction of duty. Say, I, I don't do anything. I don't train them in anything. They, we, we're trained by this. The very end of the passage tells us the last words of verse 11, trained by it. So we're born from our parents, but then we're trained to something, or we're supposed to be. One of the big problems in our country today is no parents are training in many cases. I don't mean no parents, but I mean we have a lot of kids that are basically training themselves now. It's a bad thing. They've not been chastened. They've not been disciplined. They've not been redirected. They've not been corrected. So they have no bearings on what is allowable, or even why they were born in the first place. That's why they need the gospel to find that the purpose for their life is to glorify God. Not to get even, not to get over on somebody, not to find the easy way, not to be lazy, not to be violent, all of these things. We come from our parents, but we're to be trained to something. And namely, to be functional. I mean, even, even in the unsaved world, we would like society to be functional, right? Responsible honest. These are things that we would expect that would be common values across any society. It's not, but what we would expect. But if our parents know Christ spiritually, that and a whole lot more is to be trained. Amen? Amen. That and much more. And so God says, now you're my sons and daughters, and God will never neglect his responsibility. He, he does not he does not, you know how parents can feel so guilty by the kids' response that the parents don't do what they should do? That doesn't work with God. You can sit in the corner, and he does not say to the Holy Spirit and Jesus, I'm, I'm getting worn down over here. I think we just need to give in. God doesn't respond that way. He's like, you can sit there in the corner. The chastening will not stop until you acquiesce to it. Because you're not going to bend God. Even near-perfect kids need parental counsel. So those of you that have near-perfect kids, they need parental counsel too. They need correction. They need discipline. They need consequences, America. And some form of redirection in life. I got it and needed it. Back in the old day, you know, it says chastening here. Sometimes it could even be, it, this text even says scourging. There was the back in the day where you'd pick your own stick from a willow tree or something like that. Those days are long gone. Now let's go pick how many 
you know, devices you want, or you know, not, it's certainly not picking your own stick. It's whatever you want. I'm just trying to make you happy. But God's not trying to make us happy. He's trying to make us holy. And parents, they're not always to be asking. Sometimes they're to be commanding. And that's what God does. Jesus commands, his, but he says his commands are not burdensome. He commands us. Why? Because it's needed. Just like children, they, they need commands to grow and to live and to mature. And God's children also need commands to grow and to mature and to live unto Christ. Not just to live and make a living, but to live unto Christ. Uh, chastening to us, I put 12 things that God's chastening does in our life. This is not an exhaustive list. You could add to the list. Um, I never try and give an endless list because we just don't have that kind of time. But here's 12 things that I can guarantee you, scripturally, I could show you in the scriptures that, that God does all these things through forms of chastening. And you can see in the list, he does it to humble us, to correct and turn us, to wor warn us before a more significant mistake. Isn't that true? To warn us before something more... Uh, uh, comes along to teach us needed disciplines in our life. Sometimes you can be even a disciplined person and God will show you a place that you're not. Amen to that? Even I, some of you are disciplined to the, to the T, I guarantee it. Your makeup, hey, I'm type A, I'm this, I'm that. But God will show you an area that you're not disciplined. He's really good about that because he's perfect and you're not. Change our worldly perspectives and we all have them at times. We have these worldly, remind us of his priorities. Teach us to learn from failure. I've learned way more from failure than from success, and many of you can attest to that. Soften us. Sometimes we're just, we're just hard. We're just callous. We're just cynical. To soften us. To experience weakness so we can relate to others. To experience grief so we gain compassion, and that's an others thing as well. To make us more dependent on Christ. To conform us to the image of Christ. All these are good for our souls, and they're good for the souls of other people we will minister to. In other words, you can't minister to other people's soul unless your soul has been ministered to, and part of that takes chastening, discipline, difficulty, God putting us in our place because we need it. A.W. Tozer said, what then are we to do about our problems? We must learn to live with them until such a time as God delivers us from them. We must pray for grace to endure them without murmuring. Problems patiently endured will work out for spiritual perfecting. They harm us only when we resist and endure them unwillingly. And simply say, Lord, I, as I said last week, I'll say this to, numerous times, I'll say, Lord, thank you for this trial. I know you want to do something good in me through it because I'm not seeing it at the moment. And I have that kind of honest dialogue. Lord, thank you for it. Show me what I need to learn from it. Help me to have the right response. And usually when I just start praying that prayer, I calm down about the whole thing, whatever it may be. 2 Peter 1, 6 and 7, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you're grieved by various trials. The so trials have a time period, thank the Lord. If a while, endure it. That the genuineness of your faith, much more precious than gold, that perishes, though it is tested by fire, that's what God is doing, may be found in the praise, honor, and glory of the revelation of Jesus Christ. He's going to allow us to go through these things. We're coming to a close here, but just, just keep your attention for just three or four more minutes and we'll, we'll wrap up here. 
In verse 10, it says, look at verse 10, for they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them, but he for our profit. You can highlight that. It's for our profit. You know the profit, if you put money in the bank and you get interest, you have a profit. If you sell something, you make, uh, we, we harvested the corn at this amount, but we sold it at this amount, therefore we made $10,000 profit. God's like, these things, much of the, what the world wants to do in us and Satan wants to bring our way, doesn't profit us, but what God allows will profit us. You saw how Job ended up far better at the end than he was at the beginning. It was for his profit. It'll profit us. Discipline is to make us victorious and train disciples. We saw that the very last three words are trained by it in this portion of text. Uh, the Navy SEALs, you know I love special forces, but the Navy SEALs, they're not swimming in full gear. They're not swimming in freezing cold Pacific water, uh, getting two hours sleep, practicing hand-to-hand -hand combat to be destroyed, but to be deployed. All that training is not to be destroyed. It's to be deployed. God is allowing you to go through something not to be destroyed, but to be deployed. He's doing all that to send you into deeper waters, and you're ready for those waters. And, and it's to make you fearless. A lot of these special forces guys, they're trained so much, they actually learn to overcome their fears. And many Christians are dominated by fear, and God says, I want you to go through this, that you, perfect love, perfect love of God, that is, cast out those fears, driving those things out of us. Our commanding officer is not the Navy SEALs commanding officer. Our commanding officer is Jesus. Now if problems and consequences are coming to us because we refuse to let go of sin, that's a different problem, isn't it? All of you is online. All of you that are online, if you won't let go of sin, that's a whole different problem. That's rebellion that God will not allow. And that's us sabotaging, destroying our own selves. That wasn't what Daniel was doing. That wasn't what Job was doing. That's a different story. That's the heart of rebellion that this world um, has. And we've been set free from that. It goes back to verse 1, that we can run with endurance. But if we're living for Christ, we're running the race for His glory, and He disciplines us, and He prunes us, and He chastens us, it's truly a gift of His grace. Do you believe that? Do you believe that these things are a gift of His grace? It, that it will be fruitful, as verse 11 tells us. That it will be a peaceable fruit. In other words, you can't buy it. It says the peaceable fruit. Verse 11, the peaceable fruit of righteousness. You can't buy peace. Let's just thank Him by faith for chasing us and then lay aside the things He shows us. Lord, thank you. I'm laying aside this weight. I'm laying aside this sin. Back to verses 1 and 2. I've really been focusing lately on just small but powerful scriptural truths that answer a plethora of our feelings and thinking that invades and springs from our own mind or springs into our mind. It either comes from our own fallen self or it comes from the outside and the enemy. But either way, uh, if, you're, if you're taking notes, I'll, I'll give you a few of them. Uh, these are right... Hot off the presses, things that I like, but even in the last week I'll be quoting these myself. Hebrews 12, 3, which we just read, consider him. Literally, that two words. I'll just say, Lord, I'm considering you. Lord, I'm considering you. How about 1 John 1, 9? He is faithful. Just simply say, Lord, you are faithful. You are faithful. I mean, these simple 
I'm talking about you're in the grocery aisle and you're still, things are rolling around your head of things that went wrong six hours earlier and you just say, saying, Lord, he is faithful. How about 1 Peter 1.21? Your faith and hope are in God. Your faith and hope are not in the um, upcoming election. Your faith and hope is not on another stimulus check. Your faith and hope is not in the company that employs you. That, could be, that company could be gone in a New York minute. Your faith and hope are in God. 1 Thessalonians 5.18. And everything give thanks. Well, that's pretty self-explanatory. Everything is every moment. Philippians 4.6. And everything by prayer. Just sometimes just stop and pray. Lord, just stop. I don't know what to do here. Should we spend this money? Do we need this big thing, little things? Just stop and pray. 1 Timothy 6.8, and having food and clothing will be content. I love this one. Say, Lord, thank you that food and clothing. Case closed, closed book, I'm good. You have food, you have clothing, Paul said, and these things will be content. That's a pretty good bar. That's how low the bar God wants us. Um, no time, uh, uh, John 13.34, love one another. We have no time to be striving with other believers. Love one another. We have zero time, brother and sister. The, time, the sand is going through the hourglass. We do not have time to be striving with other brothers and sisters. Love one another. Hebrews 12.1, run with endurance. We looked at it last, last week, Isaiah 40.31, wait on the Lord and run. Wait, run. Lord, show me how to wait and run at the same time. All of this, wrapping it up right here, Romans 10.17, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. That's why the Word of God allows us to endure. It allows us to see the perspective of the chastening. The Word is an anchor. It's an answer to our chastening. It's an answer to our flesh. And Satan's buffeting. Humbly and by faith, and those of you online, accept what God allows. Preach His Word to your soul and do it with thanksgiving. Amen? Preach His Word to your soul and say, Lord, there's going to be fruit, profit, and training from this because your word claims it, and God doesn't give you a promise that he doesn't keep. Amen? Amen. We're going to see God bring us out. I, I know we're going, to get in, we're going to move into 2021 with stronger legs spiritually and probably even physically too because we'll have learned to not trust in the things we were trusting in maybe even four or five months ago. Amen? And if we get a little opposition and persecution, God says, join the club. My own son went through all that. It's going to be for your good. Let's pray. Lord, we just come before you once again. We're grateful that your word anchors us, centers us. Lord, teaches us, trains us and conforms us to the image of Jesus. We pray that we would walk this week in newness of life, Lord, reminded of these things. You said that they are an exhortation that builds us up, that motivates us to look to you, to consider you, and to be conformed to your chastening and your suffering. We ask that you would do this work in each and every one of us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.